Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on KTSidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC finally hits the road this weekend for UFC Long Island. It's going to be a big live crowd for a very exciting main event between featherweights Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card. It's part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, as always, I'm bringing you guys the interviews ending today's show. I'm going to be talking to Dustin Jacoby, who is fighting at Long Island in a very exciting light heavyweight clash between him and Daun Jung. But kicking off the show today, I'm going to kick it back to the Contender Series, which I'm very excited about coming up at the end of July, early August. The Contender Series is Chris Duncan, who talks about training at American Top Team, getting his second shot at the Contender Series, and trying to make good on it this time. So we're going to get to that interview for you in just a moment. But before we do, I'm going to let you know that this episode of the Top Channel MMA Podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterman.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there each and every week, you can check out my bonus selection, but you can only find that at the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Chris the Problem Duncan, who fights Charlie Campbell at Contender Series 2. That fight is on August 2nd. So, Chris, I want to start here. I I noticed when we were setting up this interview, you told me that you're in Florida. I I see all over your social media now that you've moved to American Top Team for this fight camp. What what sort of prompted that move to to start working more intimately with them? Well, um, I I was here two years ago uh, prior to COVID, and so that was going to be my baseline uh, training camp anyway um, now that Covid is pretty much done um, I've been able to travel uh, without a visa uh, just travel to America on an Esther do my training camp and then I'll be going home next week to to go to my visa application and then uh, that means I can then work in the US so obviously that, that means a bunch of moving around kind of right before fight time, right? This interview is happening for, for those who are listening at, towards the beginning of July. Is that tricky for you in, in, you know, sort of ironing out the details of your weight cut and, you know, like final preparations for your opponent, all that kind of stuff? Nah, not really. Uh, the only thing that will be a problem is jet lag, but um, come, like, I'll probably arrive in Vegas maybe five to seven days before. That's plenty of time to rest and recover um, and I'm pre- I'm pretty anal when it comes to like nutrition and um, things like that. So like everything's down. Um, and the like, bro, I've been through all these setbacks from day one. So like it's no different. Um, I was meant to go home last week for the visa, and two weeks ago get the visa and then come back out here and uh, do my training camp. But pff, doesn't phase me. I'm used to this shit happening to me all the time. You know, I don't know if you know about my last my last time I had a shot in the contender series. That was an absolute 
shit show in itself. So I'm used to this stuff now, man. Nothing can nothing can beat me. I'm bulletproof now. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that, too, because technically, while this is going to be your second shot at the Contender Series, you've actually gone through three fight weeks already, right? Because you go through the fight week with Manuel Gaksha, you go through the fight week with, with Slava Claus, and now you're going through the fight week with Charlie Campbell. What is that like for you, being that you, you've gone through this this exact same thing so many times? I think that this will be an advantage for me, you know, being there, you know, the, the, familiarity, the familiarity of the, the kind of... The, the the pre-shoots and stuff like that, it's all going to uh, fall in my favour. And um, I'm a different fighter since being, being in that loss in the Contender Series. Uh, I learned a lot about myself, about weight cuts and how my body will react to weight cuts and what to do and what not to do. So um sounds a bit cliche, but you always learn from a loss. And uh, I certainly have, and I'm a different fighter. And, you know, I'm a nobody just now, but... When I'm down in that training room, there's a lot of coaches looking at me thinking, fucking hell, this guy knows what he's doing. So, um, And it's it's very comforting and it's uh, also an, an ego booster. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a momentum fighter. I like to fight consistently. And like, there's not very many people give you, uh, in this gym anyway, um, give you props for doing well against top level welterweights, top level lightweights, you know, so that's what I'm doing here and um, it feels good that the, the coaches are giving me credit and they want to be a part of my training camp, so um, some big things to come this year for myself. That's awesome to hear. Now, now you mentioned in there too that you, you had some things that you learned about yourself, especially in terms of like nutrition and, and getting your, your body ready for the fight. Do, do you feel like that played a, a big factor into the results your first time on the Contender Series? Oh yeah, hundred percent. But there's no point dwelling on what I should have done and what I shouldn't have done. That's that's the sport that we live in, and that's life. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest, um, the biggest honest truth you tell yourself, you know, like it, like there's no point in me blaming. Ah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done the weight cut. That's why I lost the fight. There was a lot of stuff that went on. I had there was uh, I had a newborn baby at home. I had the weight cuts. I had my coach had to leave. Um, middle of my my kind of training camp when I was over in Vegas, there was a lot of things went on, but it's all this is all superficial, you know. Like same as uh, COVID, when I arrived in the airport to to come to Vegas, I nearly didn't get on the flight because uh, my coach didn't have a, a visa and they thought he was going to go over there for work, but uh, he had an Esther and he was allowed to travel because he was part of um, my team. But th- these are all outside stuff that people don't think about and and. <clears throat> This time around, there's going to be nothing that can faze me. So I just need to be level-headed and take things in in uh, the, the the best day. And I like for it is piss with the cock you've got. So <laughs> you just got you just got to deal with it. Um, and I'm used to it now. MMA has thrown so many hurdles. This time around, I'm just going to be plain faced. I'm going to go in there and do my job and come home and see my family. Well, that's great to hear. Now, I want to ask, too, about preparation for a fighter, too, because obviously you spent all of those weeks planning for Manuel Gaccia. You wind up fighting Slava Claus, a guy who, who's got, you know, very, you know, a very similar thing he wants to do. He wants to knock people out. He's a striker, but a very different style, right? Like, you completely change styles. What's it been yeah. like this time knowing kind of what you've got coming to you with Charlie Campbell for this whole fight camp, being able to game plan, being able to trust your coaches, all that kind of stuff? How much easier does that make the whole fight week on you? 
Um, I don't. I don't think that that's probably what was wrong with me last time. I was trying to game plan for everything, whereas. Uh, when I got into the fight, things weren't working. You know, my jab wasn't working as well as I thought it would, and he was counting on my jab, and I wasn't slipping the jab, and I wasn't uh, making him pay. So, um, I think the biggest the biggest part of this camp has been to be able to adjust on the spot. Um, and the good thing is, like you know, we do two rounds with like two people, or we do two rounds with one person, and then we move on to two rounds with able to change styles mid fight. Is very important, and I think that's going to be the biggest, the biggest impact that's been on my training camp because uh, I'm a very, I'm a control freak. I like things to go in my favour, and I like things like I write everything down. I write all my diets, I write all my food, I write all my weights each week uh, in fight camp. So, um, in that sense, I've been a little bit of a control freak, and that that is probably one of the reasons why I lost the last fight as well because. I thought I was going to be A, B, and C, whereas it went A and then it went to C. So it was like, so this time around I'm going to have an open mind and I'm just going to be able to move and I'm going to anticipate loads of different things. You know, like everybody's like, oh, he's a striker. I'm probably, I reckon this guy's going to probably shoot on me at some point um, because you'll feel my power and you'll you'll not want to be in the mix. Well, and, and I want to take something back to where you were talking about your training there and, and mixing up your training partners so often and how that, that's been a real big help to you. I, I'm curious, you know, there are tons of names we know from American Top Team. Are there a couple of guys you've sort of leaned on to, to sort of help hone your skills for this fight particularly? Yeah, um, not particularly, no. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of guys that have been here to help. Um, like I said, you know, I, a lot of guys have taken a little bit of a shine to me. Um, I've been training with like top ten guys. I've been training with uh, Grant Dawson. I've been training with uh, Roman. Uh, I don't know his second name. He fights in Bellator. He's six and zero. Oh. He had a couple of flying knee knockouts. Um, I've been doing some training with uh, Renan Moicano. Like all the guys here, it's just like it's not like you get to choose or whatever. These guys are all in the room, and it's just been an absolute uh, pleasure to work with these guys and you know, learn and um, realise I'm actually supposed to be here. Like, you know, like, obviously everybody's got their strengths and everybody's got their weaknesses, but it's really reassuring to know that these guys are actually here to help me. They're not here to try and hurt me. And um, the biggest learning curve I learned over here was I train too bloody hard. Like, everybody's like, relax. Like, tomorrow's sparring. Like, why are you fucking running five miles? (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, I know. And, but the thing is, like back home when I was in Scotland, the level of training wasn't the same. So I would be able to go and do my wrestling rounds and then go for a run and feel no feel no different on my body. Whereas here, I'm doing five rounds with absolute killers and then trying to go for a five-mile run and my body's just shutting down. So uh, recovery's been a massive thing here. Um, and I still work full-time. I don't... Uh, uh, this isn't my full-time job yet, unfortunately, but I've been able to stretch at night. I've been able to sauna at night. I've been able to ice bath at night. I've been getting between eight and ten hours sleep. So on a Sunday, I've been getting twelve. <laughs> so uh, that that's a massive thing for me, especially because like I have a daughter at home uh, that needs taken care of. So uh, this time around, the stars are going to align, and I'm going to get my contract. I promise you that. Well, let, let's get a prediction then. I always like having a prediction in these things. So when you fight Charlie Campbell on Contender Series 2, how do you get it done and what is going to earn that contract? I don't know, man. I, I, I just don't know. I, I, in the past, I've been, I've been like, yeah, I'm going to knock him out. 
I don't know. I, I, I feel like uh, if I over-visualise things now, it's going to be a problem when it comes to fighting. So um, expect an exciting fight. Expect me heading for the finish at 24-7. Like, like don't blink. That's all I'd... Uh, like, some of the guys that even said to me today is like, when we watch you spar, it's like pay-per-view rounds. So, like, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sparring with top 10 guys and all these guys in this gym and they're like, like, I'm a nobody. Like, they think I'm a nobody. And, well, I, I presume myself as a nobody, but they're like, man, you're good. Where are you from? And, you know, it's really good to hear. So, I can't really give you a prediction. I will win and I will get my contract. And that's how I see it going. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Ben Chris Duncan, who fights Charlie Campbell at Contender Series 2, that fight on August 2nd. Chris, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Not a problem, brother. Anytime you need an interview, you hit me up. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Duncan. I once again am Daniel Gubby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we're going to start here at UFC Vegas last weekend. We have the second UFC knockout of RDA. The second time it's happened in history, the only other, other time was Eddie Alvarez. Actually, I take that back. Three times if you count Jeremy Stevens in his short notice debut. But this is the most recent one since he lost his title. What do you make of Hafael Fiziev? What's the ceiling on this guy? I, I think the ceiling is high. The sky is the limit. The limit is only the sky. Uh, yeah, I mean, knocking out Frankenstein is not easy. I get that RDA has been fighting in the UFC since 2008 and he's 37 years old and eventually the chin's going to have to go uh but it's still impressive nonetheless just like i found it impressive when um a flying knee took out frankie edgar for the first time in the ufc why am i blanking on who did that right now oh Um, Corey sanagan yeah Corey sanagan wow haven't had enough coffee that yet but that being said anytime someone like an rda or a frankie gets finished like that guys who are just notorious to finish it's something you know despite his age i'm impressed yeah well and i would say this too like you know we, we could say you know maybe he's getting a little bit older or something but like within the last two years he fought paul felder like a, a dude known for his his heavy hands and, and i mean if you want to peel it back like three or four years i mean he he fought kamara usman and and lived to tell the tale with kamara usman who couldn't ko him tko him or sub him like the guy is so tough. And, and the thing about this fight, too, is that Fiziev has still got that power in the fifth round, which is in in a fight that may have been building momentum for RDA, too. Like, I, I think RDA was doing better in the third and fourth. I, I don't know what rounds he won, but, like, he was doing better in the third and fourth than he was the first and second. And so, like, for Fiziev to just, like, pull a big KO out in the fifth round and early in the fifth round, man, like... I mean, like, the power is of note. His takedown defense is clearly there. I, I mean, like, I, I wish some of those guys in the lightweight division would fight. I, I wish they would fight people down the rankings a little bit, right? Like, it doesn't feel like Michael Chandler is ever going to take a fight with this guy. It doesn't feel like Justin Gaethje is going to take a fight with this guy. But, like, I want to see him against those guys. Well, I really also feel like it's great to have someone like Fizia climbing up the ranks. The division, you know, listen, Khabib retired, yeah, I guess you could say prematurely, but he retired with a perfect record. Um, and Charlie Olives has certainly held down the belt, and it's really admirable. Um, but, you know, I think the division needs a little bit of a shakeup. Um, 
Poirier's been at the top for a long time now. Uh, Chandler, you know, relatively new to the UFC and providing a lot of exciting fights. Gaethje is just a video game. He's going to provide an exciting fight anytime he fights. But I just like the idea of more guys getting up to that top five because I feel like we've sort of seen a lot of different combinations of Poirier, Oliveira, Gaethje, and Chandler at this point. So I like the idea of new blood getting in there. Yeah, and it, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't seem like those guys are fighting people that, that risk the idea that they'll be in that top five forever, right? Like, it, it, you know, like they're not fighting the, you know, Armand Securians and the Matt Shrews Gamrots and, like, all of those guys who would, like, then, in theory, shake the rankings up. So for this guy to, like, kind of force his hand with a win against RDA and, like, you're not going to be able to ignore him for much longer. He's going to be there. Um, it, it's really great to see. Speaking of rankings, I love that Conor McGregor is still ranked number 12, even though his last win was two years ago against Donald Cerrone. He's one and three in the last four years. Actually, I'm sorry. He's one and three in the last six years. And he's ranked number 12. That's hilarious. Yeah, I have a theory on that. Like, so as somebody who has a little bit of knowledge on on what the rankings look like, I think, like, a lot of people have just, like, taken him out of the rankings, which is why he's he's sliding down slowly. But I also think there's just a bunch of people who still have him, like, two or something like that. You know, and, like, and in the aggregate, he comes out as 12, and, like, nobody agrees that he should be at 12 because half think he should be two or three, and the other half think, like, this dude hasn't won in, you know, except for Cerrone, which like at this point who hasn't beat Cerrone. So, um, yeah, like I, I feel like that's probably the reason he's there. Well, I'll tell you the reason we're here and it's for our favorite segment on the show, fights, dogs, and parlays. We're going to be breaking down a couple of fights, giving you a parlay to play and a couple of live dogs <laughs> for this weekend's UFC Long Island, which is low key, a, tremendous card um at the very least the main event is exciting af so gumby let's get the fights dogs and parlays but please tell us does anyone sponsor this edition of fights dogs and parlays absolutely fights dogs and parlays is brought to you by mma play 365 mma play 365 is a prediction and betting service out here trying to make the public money on the ufc and mma in general from one super low fee you get access to the professional handicapper and not only that, but you also get access to their brand new Bayes AI software, which uses advanced algorithms to give you percentages for every possible outcome on every UFC fight. The thing is red hot right now. They are hitting so many fights using that. They've tweaked it. It's getting better and better every single day. So get in on it now. They've got packages of all lengths and sizes to fit your needs, including a daily fantasy sports one, if that's your gig. So check them out at MMAplay365.com and use promo code TOPTURTLE to get 10% off their annual package, which is already so affordable to begin with. It's a deal you can't pass up. That's MMAplay365. All right. This main event is a banger. It's Brian Ortega, who's betting off at a minus 165 favorite to Yair Rodriguez, a plus 140 dog. Ortega coming off the loss in the title fight to Alexander Volkanovsky. Came oh so close to finishing Volkanovsky, as admitted by Volkanovsky himself, with that guillotine turned into a mounted guillotine. Uh, razor thin as far as getting a win, but when you look at the overall body of the fight, not very close. It was a unanimous decision win for Volkanovsky. Uh, 
and Ortega in a very interesting point in his career. You know, 15-2-1 as a pro, his only two losses in the UFC are to Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. So if Holloway feels like the 1A to Volkanovsky's 1, then Ortega has to feel like the 1B to Volkanovsky and Max Holloway. He's just a cut below those two guys. Um, and that's not to say he couldn't come back and, you know, I think he still has a little more evolution to go in his MMA career. Uh, does T-City, he is 31. Uh, you know, I feel like Max Holloway and Volkanovski might be a little more complete at this point. So it's not to say he couldn't come back and beat them. But right now, those are his only two losses in the UFC. Facing a guy in Yair Rodriguez, uh, also who has a loss to Max Holloway. That was his last fight back in November of 2021. Beat Jeremy Stevens before that and Chen Sung Jung. Lost to Frankie Edgar. Nasty fight there. as a TKO Dr. Savage. Edgar completely dominated wrestling, ground and pound. And heading into that Frankie Edgar fight, Jair Rodriguez was the talk of the town. Huge wins over BJ Penn, Alex Caceres. He was undefeated in the UFC going into that fight. That all being said, he's 13-3 and as a pro. He is coming off a loss to Max Holloway, and he finds himself the dog here. Who you got? So I'm going to go with Brian Ortega here. Look, I I really do love Yair Rodriguez. And in terms of, you know, we talked about mixing up the the lightweight division before. In in terms of mixing up the featherweight division, seeing Yair Rodriguez win would be pretty big. Because according to him, Dana White's already promised him a title shot if he happens to get through Ortega here. But, like, my big problem with Yair Rodriguez is, is, like, He's so good on the feet, right? Like, he's incredible on the feet. He's, you know, he's a video game on the feet. Like you said about Gagey, he just, the dude throws and it's spinning stuff and it's it's crazy good. He landed 159 strikes on Max Holloway, but my big issue with him is the takedown defense. He's going to be fighting a guy in Brian Ortega who's got phenomenal jujitsu and low-key doesn't have that bad of wrestling, right? Like, we've actually seen his wrestling get a little bit better as time goes. He took down Volkanovski twice. He took down Chan Sung Jung three times. He actually took down Max Holloway twice in that fight, which I feel like people really forget about. And we're looking at Yair Rodriguez, a guy whose biggest flaw is his defensive wrestling. It's not necessarily his jiu-jitsu. He's got decent jiu-jitsu, but his defensive wrestling is quite bad. Like, he, he's lost. He, he gave up three takedowns to both Max Holloway, and get this, also gave up three takedowns to Jeremy Stevens. Uh, which is really something you don't want to say. Jeremy Stevens is not a particularly good wrestler. You, I mean, you could go back. He gave up ten take or five takedowns to Charles Rosa. He he gave up takedowns to Alex Caceres. Uh, like he's just not a guy who defends a takedown really well. And some of it's because he just kind of puts himself out of position with all of his spinning shit. So yeah, I, I think Ortega is going to lean on the grappling here, and we're going to see him use a lot of. A lot of the things we don't see from Ortega, which is top game grappling, sometimes it's a lot of like counter, you know, jujitsu and stuff like that. But in this case, uh, I think we're going to see him on top of Yair Rodriguez the whole time. And I I think he's going to beat him pretty badly. I agree with you completely. I think uh, Yair could certainly pull off, you know, a crazy six to 12 type elbow, a video game maneuver. He's always deadly in the funkiness of his striking. I wouldn't even necessarily call it funkiness. It's really just like video game highlight reel quality striking. He's very fast. I give the speed advantage to him over Ortega. But I think the overall package 
Ortega is probably the more sound fighter, the more solid fighter. I say that when it comes to striking as well. He's going to be determined. He's going to pick his shots, and he's going to utilize his grappling. He's the better MMA fighter, in my opinion, and that's why I'm comfortable picking him as well. Let's go to an interesting matchup between Amanda Lemos and uh, Michelle Waterson. Lemos, a very solid favorite at minus 330. Waterson, a plus 275. Lemos is... Five and two in the UFC, very quietly coming off a. She debuted on a loss to Leslie Smith, reeled off five wins in a row, and is now coming off a arm triangle choke uh, submission loss to Jessica Andrade. So her loss is kind of a loss sandwich with five wins in a row in between in her five and two record. Uh, the wins included two TKOs, one submission victory. Strong favorite here to Waterson, who's coming off a loss to Marina Rodriguez via unanimous decision. Beat Angela Hill before that. You know, Waterson, an interesting case as well. A lot of hype coming out of Invicta. She had the cutesy nickname, the Karate Hottie. She debuted in the UFC with two wins. Beat Angela Magana, whatever happened to her. Beat Paige Van Zandt. I know what happened to her. But then ran into Rose Namajunas and Tisha Torres. Um you know, and lost. Uh, tough fighters, a step up in competition. Came back, though, and nicely beat Courtney Casey, Felice Herrig, Carolina Kowalkowicz. Some nice wins there in Herrig and Kowalkowicz. So a three-fight win streak, but then ran into the upper tier again. Lost to Joanna Janjacek. Lost to Carla Esparza. So in Waterson's case, you know, an aging fighter at this point. She is 36. When she goes against the top of the division, she loses can typically beat a lesser fighter, but I don't believe Amanda Lemos is a lesser fighter, and that's why she's such a strong favorite here. Who are you taking? I'm taking Lemos. I I think, look, it's a couple of things for me. Waterson has got, you know, like, decent jiu-jitsu in some cases, and, like, her her thing is her karate, right? Like, people have always, like, lauded the idea that she's got, like, fun kicks and stuff like that. But the difference in this fight for me is that, like, one person is going to be throwing, like, one-twos down the middle. Uh, Very straight punches, very hard punches. Punches with, like, legit knockout power, as we saw when she knocked out Montserrat Conejo. Like, Amanda Lemos hits hard. And the other one's going to be throwing, like, man, this is going to sound, like, sexist and it's not supposed to. But, like, pretty strikes, right? Like, what, what Michelle Waterson throws is kind of like Yair Rodriguez. It's, like, flashy and fun, and, and but it's not particularly powerful. It's not hard. Like, she's not going to knock anybody out. And I think that's the difference in this fight. Even if she lands as many strikes, or even more strikes than, than Amanda Lemos, she's going to feel the ones that Lemos throws, and the judges are going to see that, like, oh, damn, Lemos is hitting her, hitting her hard. So, like... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Amanda Lemos here, and, and I think negative 330 is probably not even steep enough. Uh, Muslim Salikov, a minus 175 favorite. Li Jing Lang, a plus 150 dog. Uh, our boy Muslim is uh, on a five-fight win streak in the UFC since debuting on a loss to Alex Garcia. He's beaten the likes of uh, Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos, uh, Nordine Taleb and coming off a win off Francisco Trinaldo. So he finds himself the uh, minus 175 favorite here. Li Jing Lang uh, is coming off a loss to Kamza Chimiev. No shame in that, but he beat Santiago Ponzinibbio before that, lost to Neil Magny. If you go back another fight, so he's one and two 
in his last three, and he finds himself the plus 150 dog here. Going out on a limb and picking Li Jinglang, or are you sticking with the favorite? I'm sticking with Muslam Salakas. I, I think that he goes by the nickname King of Kung Fu. The King of Kung Fu has got a ton of skills here that I think play really well into him fighting Li Jingliang. What I've noticed about Li is that pretty much he, he only typically looks really good in fights when he is able to be the aggressor in the wrestling department. Um, you know, obviously he got that like quick knockout against Santiago Ponzinibbio, but I, I really think that that's an anomaly. But if you go back before that, when he's getting takedowns and he's on top, he looks good. He looks really good in those fights when he either gets stuffed and is forced to strike or is the one being put on his own ass. He looks pretty bad. Um, he looks like he's not top 15 quality and Salikov could do both of those things. Salikov is a much better striker than Li Jingliang, much better. We've seen him have crazy knockout power as well. Uh, but also, like, he's got a little bit of wrestling in there that I think people sleep on because his nickname is the King of Kung Fu. And more importantly, he has wrestling defense. So I think he just forces Li Jingliang to stand with him, uh, and it doesn't go well for Li. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Our dog of the week is Ricky Simon, a plus 135. Let's hear it. Yeah, look, I, I know people are big on Jack Shore. Jack Shore has looked so technical and so good in these fights. I mean, like, he's drawn comparisons to, like, early GSP in the way that he's just, like, I mean, like a motor. He does everything right, and that win over Timor Valiev just looks so good. I believe he's 5-0 in the UFC now, but I really do think Ricky Simone is maybe the most underrated fighter in the UFC. He's had four straight wins. That includes wins over Brian Kelleher and Ray Borg and Rafael Sunsau. And really, like, if you want to go back, dude, the dude choked out Marab Tavalashvili. He is Marab Tavalashvili's only loss. We're talking about Marab, who's about to go fight Jose Aldo. Uh, and, and, you know, like, add in wins over, like, he outgrappled Montel Jackson, who, who's super strong. Um, he's, he got caught by Uriah Faber, but apart from that, his only other loss is Rob Font, who we know is a top-tier guy. I think Ricky's being slept on here. I think the number continues to keep getting driven up here because Jack Shore is the young buck with a lot of uh, promise behind him. But I really like Ricky in this fight. All right. Our parlay to play is Dustin Jacoby, a minus 140, and Emily Ducote, a minus 140. So pair two minus 140s together. Get your plus 194 odds. Break it down. Yeah, so I've been banging the drum for Dustin Jacoby for a while. He finally did crack those top 15 rankings at light heavyweight. He's fighting Da Eun Jung here, who, uh, again, probably a, a serial underrated fighter he's up against. But I, I just really love the kickboxing of Dustin Jacoby. I, I think, really, he, he's one of those guys who, you know, because he has the kickboxing background, because he went to the UFC and then went to Gloria and now is back in the UFC, we're seeing all of that come together in, like, a more complete game plan. Obviously, working with the team at Factory X is good for him. So, like, yeah, I think Dustin Jacoby just outclasses Da Eun Jung here on the feet and, you know, stuffs enough takedowns to win, kind of like he's stuffed enough of Ian Kudalaba's takedowns. Um, Emily Ducati is, I think, again, somebody who we need to keep an eye on. She's brand new to the UFC. She's making her debut, and she's coming in as a neg negative 140 favorite on Jessica Penne. I think that number would probably even be higher if more people knew what she was capable of. I mean, she's got one of the most spectacular Invicta knockouts of all time. She's really, really slick on the feet. And I think just like she's like Dustin Jacoby, she's going to force Jessica Penne to throw with her. And as we've seen with Jessica Penne, and I don't just mean even recently, but like throughout her career, Jessica Penne, good grappler, maybe leaves a little bit desired in the striking department. So I like both of these strikers to outwork the wrestlers here and get you a plus 194 turnaround.
I like the breakdown, and we we hope you like the breakdown too. Let us know on Twitter or IG at Top Turtle MMA. Did we do you right? Did we do you dirty? I really liked all the things you were saying about Dustin Jacoby there. I have a feeling we're going to hear more about it. Gumby, where do we go now? Yeah, we're going to transition to my interview with Dustin Jacoby, who is fighting Daun Jung at UFC Long Island. We're going to get to that interview in just a moment. But before we do, I have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to tag your training partners, log your competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Dustin Jacoby. All right, and joining me today is Dustin Jacoby, who fights Daun Jung at UFC Long Island on July 16th. So, Dustin, I wanted to start here. I saw a little prep work for your upcoming fight where you are doing some training with the baddest man on the planet, Joe Warren. Are, are you getting a little bit of wrestling defense in here? Because I know you're always talking to me that your, your wrestling offense is a little bit better than we get to see. Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me, Dan. Um, Joe is one of my uh, favorite people on, on planet Earth, man. He is, he's a, a really cool dude, an absolute savage, one of the best wrestlers that I've ever worked with. But, yeah, Joe comes into Factory X every Tuesday, and, and uh, we grind wrestling, man. I, I certainly have no intentions of going in and being a wrestler against Jung, but uh, it's always nice to have in the back pocket and uh, you know, obviously it's mixed martial arts. You never know where the fight's going to go, so you got to be prepared everywhere. And and uh, Joe's a great addition to our team uh, on the wrestling side of things. And, and how long, out of curiosity, because I know he's he's bounced around and he's been everywhere in the whole world uh, during his career. Yeah. But, but how long has he been working specifically with you guys for for that kind of stuff? Oh man, for years. You know, Joe Joe trained at Factory X, and you know we were teammates, and then. Uh, yeah, here the past uh, several years, he still comes in and and uh, helps us out, and uh, he he's got a lot of knowledge, man. He he's a world class wrestler, and and he just loves it. And the the most inter- interesting thing about Joe is, you know, the guy's like forty years old, and he still gets out there on the mat. Like he has, I was just said this to him the other day. I'm like, Joe, how do you do the things you do? Like you make it look like you're like a so easy, and b like you're twenty years old. Like your body doesn't hurt. He he looked at me. He's like. That's the problem. He's like, I wish I'd just break my neck so I didn't have to do this. But <laughs> I, I, I feel great. I feel like I can still go out there and fight and do whatever, man. And I was like, he's crazy, man. So, uh, yeah, Joe's a, a special individual for sure. Well, and let, let's talk a little bit about, you, you know, your preparation. Because like you said, you never know where it's going to go. And you're now one of those names in the top 15. So you got to start thinking about everybody. What, what was it like when you, you finally got to see your name crack that top 15 going into this fight? Man, it's really cool. I'll tell you what, man. It's been a long time coming. It's It's been a hell of a career, hell of a journey. And, and to, to be back in the UFC and to reel off five wins. And, you know, I had that draw, of course. But, um, you know, it, it feels great, man. There's a lot of hard work that went into it. And the light heavyweight division's no no slouch. You know, there's a lot of great guys up there to be one of the top 15 best guys in the world is, is truly an honor. And, you know, I got to go out there July 16th and defend my spot against Jung, and that's what I plan on doing. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that too. You know, like you said, the, the top 15 is so brutal. It's a, it's a real mixture of up-and-comers and longtime veterans and guys you know and guys who some people haven't heard of. And here you go, getting your first chance being in the top 15 – 
and they turn around and give you a guy who, like you, is unbeaten in his last five fights. He's 4-0-1 with, again, just kind of a draw like you. What, what were sort of your thoughts that this is the first guy they give to you once you get that number next to your name? Is it, they're, they're really doing you no favors. Well, you know what, man? They've actually offered Jung a couple of different times in the past, and you know, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Um, it was a couple of short notice fights on my end, and uh, I was like, nah, you know, we just it wasn't the opponent; it's just the timing did not work out. So uh, he he's been on the radar. I knew there'd be a clash sooner or later. Um, I, I think it's a great matchup, and and before uh, after my last fight in March, they had offered me a couple higher ranked guys, a couple guys in the top 15, but it was for uh, uh, the middle of June. And I, I wasn't going to be ready in time just with the injury I had going on with my legs from the last camp and the last fight. And uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to accept those. So uh, they gave me a longer layoff and they said, how about the middle of July? And they gave me Jung and I was like, okay, perfect. I was like, you know, you guys have offered that before and, and I'm certainly not opposed to it. So I like the matchup. Um, but again, like you said, I have to go out there and defend my spot. And, and Jung is a tough guy. He's a durable guy. He's an up-and-coming guy. I think he's he's a guy that they're wanting to push, uh, being um, you know just with the Korean background. So I'm looking forward to the matchup. Yeah, and you mentioned a couple times in there that you're you're excited about the stylistic matchup of this fight, and you, you like the stylistic matchup for yourself. What what particularly about Down Jung is, is something that you like for yourself? Well, you know, he, he's a, a striker first. He's a stand-up guy. Of course, I enjoy going in there with guys that like to strike. And uh, he's more of a boxer. You know, he, he doesn't utilize a lot of kicks, but he will kick. You know, he's a guy that once I get my kicks going, he'll probably try to get his kicks going. You know, if if I tried to shoot a takedown, I'm sure he would try to shoot a takedown. Um, uh, he, he just kind of does what you do. Uh, so I got to go in there and, and set the tone early and uh, start fast and finish strong, man. And, and again, it's another striker. So I, I'm always uh, uh, welcoming those those types of matchups. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Now, you, you know, you mentioned your striking style and, and the fact that, you know, you do, you do like to come forward. You do like to throw. The UFC seems to like that as well, because this is now the third straight fight you've got fighting in front of a live crowd in an era where, you know, like over 50% of the fights are happening behind closed doors, basically, at the apex. What is it like for you kind of getting that shine from the UFC, getting that extra look from the UFC that you keep winding up in front of these huge crowds in big moments? Oh, I love it, man. You know, I'm very honored and thankful for the UFC, and, you know, they're a great company, and uh, to be back to, you know, where where I originally started and, and to be thriving, it's a great feeling, and and uh, I don't take it lightly, man. I'm excited to go in there and continue, you know, making my mark and climbing the ranks, and anytime you can fight in front of a crowd, uh, it gives you that extra boost, extra motivation that you, you just feel the energy, and, and it's uh, it's just a really special moment. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm going to ask you for a prediction here against Da Eun Jung. I, I know you're a guy who you know, is a little bit more fluid in there. You're willing to let the fight go 15 minutes or two seconds if it's going to take that long. But do you have a prediction? How do you envision this fight going? Well, you know, I, I think Jung's a, a very durable guy. Um, you know, he's. Uh, he, I think he's going to be around for the long haul, and, and he brings it, man. I love his fighting spirit. Uh, but, you know, the, the Hanyak has a fighting spirit of his own, and, and, you know, I'm not going away easy. And I think it's going to be a... Uh, uh, I think it's going to be a hard challenge, and uh, I think it's going to be a tough battle. But 
Uh, my prediction is I, I see my hands getting raised at the end of the night and, and moving on uh, with my career and continuing to climb the ladder. And out of curiosity, you know, like like you said, you're already thinking kind of a little bit about climbing the ladder. I have to imagine you win this one. We're looking ahead of ourselves in the rankings, right? Is is that something that you really feel strongly about, given if you, you come away from this fight with a win? Yeah, absolutely, man. Like I said, you know, that's a, a lot of people have been asking me, you know, how are you, you know, 15 and, and not getting a higher ranked opponent? And like I said, you know, they're, they're, they did offer a couple different guys higher ranked than me. I just... I wasn't going to be ready in time, and I told him, hey, man, I can't fight in June. And uh, I think that they came back like, all right, well, you know, we've been wanting to see this matchup with you and Jung. I was like, how about we do that? You know, he's a guy that's surging. He is ranked below me, but uh, a a guy that I could see in the top 15 uh, surely one of these days. And, and, uh, yeah, so that's who they offered. And, and again, we we love the matchup, and we accept it, and and, uh, here we are, man. Like you said, you can only fight – uh, who they put in front of you. Right now, I got Jung in front of me, who's a very legitimate uh, threat. So I got to go in there with my A game, and I got to make sure I defend my spot and stay in the, in the top 15. Well, we're looking forward to seeing that. Now, before I let you go, I, I did want to ask you, because, you know, I like to do my poking around on people's social media and whatnot. I, I noticed, which which I don't think I, I knew about you ahead of time, I noticed there's quite a bit of hunting stuff on there, too. You're, you're elk hunting out there, doing a bunch of pheasant hunting with your, your chocolate lab. Is that yeah. something you get a, a chance to do a lot of uh, outside of training camp, or is that something you know like you, you kind of have to put the special trippy together here and there because the life of a fighter never ends? Yeah, man. No, it's something that uh, it's definitely a commitment. It's something that I'm committed to, and and uh, my, my dog's five now, and we have hunted. He's probably I don't know. He's seen thousands of birds, man. It's one of my favorite uh, things to do. Um, uh, one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, is pheasant hunting and, and upland hunting in general, but and then elk hunting as well, man. That that's absolutely one of my favorite times of the year. But yeah, I put a lot of time and effort into that stuff, and it's on the calendar every year. And and uh, very advocate hunter, and and I enjoy being out in the wilderness and and uh, doing those types of things, man. So yeah, it's a big part of my life, and and something that I will always do, you know, for the rest of my life. Very cool. And, and I've actually heard from a couple other fighters who are hunters as well. Cody Stamen comes to mind. Uh, is that like okay. he, he finds that his his game hunting is like a big source of his protein for his fight camp. Like he'd rather, you know, just get, you know, access deer or stuff like that for, for his fight camps. Is that something that you integrate into your nutritional program, too? Or is it more, you know, it's a hobby. It's something that I oh. do in the off season. No, 100%. I, I don't hunt just to just to kill. I hunt for the meat, man. I, I love packing the freezer, and uh, elk meat is power food. You know, anytime I can put down an elk and, and pack that freezer, my wife's happy, we're happy, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, it's it's not, I just don't hunt to kill. Like, I'm, I'm eating that meat, and pheasants, too, you know, I love, you can, you can cook that stuff many different ways, and uh, yeah, it's packed with protein, and, and uh, I love it, man. I am a meat eater. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to seeing you use that power food for good use. Uh, <laughs> once again, fans, this is the Dustin Jacoby who fights Daun Jung, UFC Long Island on July 16th. Dustin, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with you after the big victory.
And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and of course, MMA Play 365. Remember, you can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gibby-Reeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.